0: Hello. Hello and welcome. I'm Heather and I'm Laura. We're Sweet Sweet Death and we're here to bring you another exciting
1: sweet sweet story <laughs> or two. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, Nailed it.
0: <laughs> we we're just talking it's my birthday on Saturday. Yeah. Nothing too exciting turning 38. <laughs> I'm I tell people I'm basically 40 and I might as well be dead. <laughs> I've or like a Conan O'Brien. Well, no, I'm sorry. It was Jim Gafkin. He said he was skyrocketing towards the grave. I was like, that's what I tell people. Just skyrocketing towards the grave. Funny. Almost committed to that Shrek rave. The black sheep.
1: Yep. Did not. I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's fine. Everyone, because I had told my coworkers, like, oh yeah, I might do this for Heather's birthday if you want to go. And then she was like, uh. yep. <laughs> Everyone just seemed like unsure about it.
0: You know what's funny? That's crazy that that's your reaction. Uh, what, how old are the people that you work with?
1: Yeah, they're like my age. And okay. then one of
0: them is, like 21. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I was like, maybe it's an age thing. Because, like, I, again, I work with children. um yeah. And so, well, they're all like 21, and between 21 and like 26. But, you know, we mentioned this Shrek rave, and they fucking lost their minds. They were like, oh, Shrek rave! And they, like, lost it. Everyone's picking, like, oh, if I win, I'd be the gingerbread man. No, I'd be Prince Charming. I'd be, I don't remember who that, Puss in Boots. Like, everyone was picking characters. It was crazy. Yeah.
1: Well, Michelle was the only person who seemed into it, but, yeah, everyone else, like, you know, I worked with, like, old people, and then other people who were just like, oh, yeah. Their hearts are dead. So, Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to tell you. Um, I think, or I don't know if I really ever talked about it much. Just like crazy work stories. That mm-hmm. one lady who was, you know, a bitch. I don't know if she said my name on here, but she's suing. I- what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, so, shit. I don't know. Well, she probably found my podcast. No. no. Oh, I'm my kidding. God. <laughs> I was like, don't
0: say that. I tried to d- d-
1: delete things. No. Oh, God. There's no way she could prove it. But what do, you, what do you think? She's suing for being fired for being old. Uh and said that we always left her out of everything she didn't get to do anything oh my god isn't there proof on facebook that you guys went and hung out that one night yeah i'm like she hosted the christmas party yeah i think right before she quit there's that post she made where just a few cakes i did for this lovely bakery (gasps) oh my gosh yeah i need to text rebecca right now or yeah and tell her Made that post on, on our, sorry oh shit no, no more editing for you <laughs> no that's okay <laughs>
0: two minutes and fifty four seconds market Heather all right okay no we're
1: good don't worry I'll, yeah, I'll so, keep names but on. yeah I just thought that was crazy and hilarious because literally just like I don't know a week ago we had all have a group meeting about talking shit behind people's backs mainly just for the older people there yeah. and um she was like No oh fuck okay <laughs>
0: three minutes and 17 seconds i'm gonna Market call Heather.
1: her i'm gonna call her fresca okay she was saying <laughs> her that she was her spirit animal and as a person she wasn't that bad blah blah while she was saying that i was thinking like no she's a fucking horrible person yeah and then a week later goodbye
0: lawsuit. yep <clears throat> so yeah uh i i mean i only worked no did i ever work with her i never worked with her and i met just her that one time i met her yeah. met her a few times and she was just frazzled all the time and crazy. And like, we have a, we have a baker at work, I guess too, that she's, she's at the other location, but she, uh, she's just a nightmare apparently to work with they throw away like half the shit she bakes Ugh. they keep coddling her they, they keep going and helping her with her loads and it's like what the fuck but we can't get an assistant for our baker down here and yeah it's just stupid i don't know Ugh. just typical work stuff do you guys need someone part-time
1: or something <laughs> <like that>? <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh,
0: i feel like yeah. money's probably a little better
1: yeah I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, it's so slow right now.
0: But anyways. Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, we're just going to go out to the bar this weekend. We're doing (laughs) D&D. Oh, and then we're doing, dude, I have too much shit. I was supposed to bake a bunch of stuff today. Actually, after you leave, I have to put together some jalapeno poppers, and I have to make stuffed bell peppers just to be, like, baked for tomorrow. So, like, I'm not baking anything tonight so that John can throw it in before our friends come over, before I get home from work, so... And then I also have to make some biscuits and gravy tomorrow for work, um, for a brunch
1: uh, thing. I've got a lot do you going to do on. So I don't much know. Before your birthday, I
0: don't know why I <laughs> do this to
1: myself. Other people should be doing this, right? No, it was it was all me. It was all my <laughs> fucking idea. I can't help it. Go to Popeyes, get some biscuits. Dude. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm
0: not gonna lie. I mean, I'm not gonna say it didn't
1: cross my mind. <laughs> yeah, nothing for me. My mom came in town like. Before the week before last, we went to some fancy place called the Warehouse. Have you been there? I mean, I've like seen it. I they know. S- they specialize in like wild game. Okay. And yeah, I'm going real off the rails from <laughs> veganism. <laughs> but uh, I had elk, and right on. I had a piece of bison and duck. Did you love it? It was so good. So fucking good. That elk good. was. Oh my gosh. Melt in your mouth. Yeah, it was like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, crazy, crazy. I
0: need to go there then. I didn't realize it was wild game. Yeah. I thought it was just steaks. Like, yeah. they just specialized in steaks. No,
1: yeah, they specialize, like, I guess the chef, like, end cooking, like, wild game. And it was so fucking good. If you go and mm-hmm. they still have that elk. I mean, it's kind of pricey, but. Oh. I mean, it's wild game. It's yeah. cool. Like, I get it. Yeah, it was nice, though, because they had, like, this deal where you got, like, a appetizer, a dessert, and, like, an entree for, like. I think it was, like, I think it came out to, like, 80 bucks a person, so.
0: Oh, that's, okay. like, pretty good, yeah. Yeah, I think
1: that's pretty good. Compared to, like, paying, like, just for the entree, like, 50 to mm-hmm. 30 to, like, you know, 80 bucks, whatever. Who yeah. Knows? But, yeah, it was really good. You should go. Yep. hmm The little dessert was so cute. I got, well, I was really basic and just got Napoleon. Napoleon. <laughs> Dude, that
0: shit's good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Wild game. Did you ever
0: watch uh, Chef's Table on Netflix?
1: No, I've been thinking of watching it.
0: Okay, there's this one. It's a Russian guy, and he makes something called moose lips, and it was disturbing. Yeah, watching him <laughs> do this. Well, cuts from like him petting this little moose, like there, there moose, to like him just walking in the kitchen with a tray of like three moose snouts sitting oh on. Oh my side. god! god weird. I was like, oh my god, watching it. Yeah. I've told everyone I can about Moose Lips Um, and just how magical that episode is. He turns it into a little ravioli, but it was, like, fucking weird watching this, like, (laughs) furry kind of snout. And they're, like, scraping the meat out of the lips. (laughs) This is so gross. It is, but I don't know. It's it's just part of the muscle, man. It's all part of the animal. I'm
1: like... I commend them for not wasting the animal. Yeah, but I mean when you're only using it for the lips, what do they do with the rest of the
0: <laughs> Just throw it in the trash. Fuck it. <laughs> all we needed was the moose lips. I guess it's cheap. Have you ever seen a moose running through the snow? No. It is. Like a tr- you know, like a train in the snow. Like yeah. it just shoves all the oh snow gosh. out of its way.
1: That's what a fucking moose looks like That's when what it's I running. Imagine. I saw this video the other day, it's not really related, but this guy was like, I don't know, because it's like, I think his ring doorbell or something, he's like going out to take his trash. He has like a little shed, I guess they put their trash in, and he walks out, and this fucking moose was walking like oh right my towards God. him, and he just walks back in the shed and like yep. shut <laughs> the <door. Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> It was so funny. Dude, I'm man moose are scary when they yeah. attack their
0: big angry forest cows like humongous too it's like whoa <laughs> yeah that's like because like the guy standing next to i mean when he was just petting little baby moose it was like taller than yeah. him so yeah it was like i it, the, the one that was they showed the video because it's like a family standing off to the side and they're just out in the wilderness they're just out in the open and then here comes this moose just this like plumes of snow like shooting out into the sky as it runs past them i swear it was like 40 (laughs) miles an hour it was so fast it might have been in canada maybe it was in kilometers i'm not sure
1: animals are free i saw that one video too i mean i'm sure you've seen but i think it was like a crocodile like swimming like in the water just like how fast it was like someone was in their boat and they're like going like a good speed and this fucking crocodile just comes like like in the water like faster than the boat and i just thought about being in the water and like oh my gosh yeah so terrifying but uh-huh.
0: yeah. <laughs> oh again i've fuck i'll, I'll end up cutting some right, shit <laughs> but like um i was watching this like david attenborough thing one was called like living in color or life in color um and then i was watching another one but there was a if you watch have you ever seen the mating dances of birds in
1: papua new guinea I feel like you've shown me this. Maybe Are they really I tiny? Or? No, no,
0: no. It's not that they're tiny. They have so many different. So they're called birds of paradise and they're uh-huh. just really unique, like beautiful fucking birds. Like oh. so rare, unique. Oh, okay. Um, but specifically on the island of Papua New Guinea, just where it's located, the way the island's divided up, you have all these dozens of birds that have the most insane mating dances like i can't i'll show you some videos after because they're fascinating Think they
1: choreograph them? yeah no like, they do they
0: fucking choreograph them like one starts with a bow and then he's got little plumes on his head that he shakes and like his little feathers pop wow. out and his like neck flaps pops out for colors and uh, another one, and they, they'll, like, clear the for- the floor, they'll take wow. all the dirty <laughs> leaves out, and, like, break twigs off, and, I mean, they're, like... That's
1: funny. They're, they're serious about in the in the business
0: of getting laid, man. Yeah. <laughs> it takes so effort. Funny. And, that's like, cute. or, like, you know, co- coordinating with the color that they're, oh. you know, with their feathers. I don't know. It's just so really cute. cool shit. I'm gonna make Have you to watch it, yeah. videos after <laughs> this, so... All right. Well... All
1: right.
0: That's enough nature talk. hey Do you went f- i went first last time so i sped through muhammad ali so yeah. if you want to go, go you go for
1: it okay I'm and then if i can't
0: finish my story because it's really really long
1: then okay. we finish it next week i always worry mine seems so short like compared to yours, well but... because
0: i can't stop
1: <laughs> i have add
0: and ocd and it turns into this so okay. it's no you're doing the people a service keeping you shorter i'm right. keeping people away
1: Okay, hopefully this is okay and not super boring. It has nothing to do with murder, but. <laughs> it's okay. This is Black History Month, man. At first, I got scared we were supposed to do like a certain state. We weren't, oh, right? No. Okay. It was just good. whatever. Okay, that's what I yeah, okay. It's Black History Month, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so because as you just said it's obviously black history month i wanted to do a story that was a bit happier just because i feel like we're always talking about lynchings and just like horrible shit yeah mine's a real bummer so yeah, yeah. so <laughs> just something like i guess uplifting so i wanted to talk about some amazing black women who inspire me and these women are dorothy vaughn katherine johnson and mary jackson have you heard of them mm-hmm. it's like the yeah whatever the i can't even think of the the hidden figures yes hidden yes figures. i knew the camera yeah name, yeah so, sorry if you've already heard this, but I just wanted to talk to them, because I saw that movie, and I was just like, this is so inspiring, so. Yeah. Okay, so, um, they are just three of the hundreds of NASA human computers quietly commended for their work. They are also referred to as the hidden figures for this very reason. I watched a movie about them when it came out, and I just remember thinking they were so badass and amazing, and it also just made me feel like I wish I could be like that. And that's who I aspire to be, so... I mean, obviously, I'll never be like that, but, you know, yeah. I can dream. <laughs>
0: uh, I've, I've seen you do math. You cannot be like them.
1: That. <laughs> that day we were in the pool, and I was like, <laughs> I don't remember what I said.
0: I don't either. Do you remember there was a day we were trying to put, like, I don't know. We It was like the the total was 501, and we were both looked at each other like we're such fucking idiots. <laughs> like, all we had to do was carry the one and, like, evenly turn it
1: into yeah. 501. Anyway, we sorry. Like, yeah. So
0: we idiots. Okay. Okay. Come
1: on. So um, if you've never heard of these women, they are the three of um, dozens of other African-American women who crunch numbers and process data for the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics or the NACA and its successor, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration or NASA. So these women were basically referred to, as I already said, the human computers. They performed complicated calculations that supported the work of male engineers Um, these human computers i believe should receive more credit than the credit we give to the first minute space because i feel like all they really i mean they train obviously but it's nothing like doing the math like to get there you know exactly
0: because it has to be so precise you know yeah Yeah. so i
1: think it's crazy we really don't ever hear about them or maybe i'm just not in the right we don't
0: ever hear about the hidden figures
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> Sorry. yeah okay so um in 1935 the national advisory committee for aeronautics a precursor of nasa as i just said hired hundreds of women as computers the job title was described as someone who performed mathematical equations and calculations by hand according to a nasa history the computers worked at the langley memorial aeronautical laboratory in virginia cool. i always think of um american dad how it's like in langley like oh, the cia yeah. and stuff <laughs> i don't know why but anyways okay so um, human computers were obviously not a new concept. Um, in the late 19th and early 20th century, computers at Harvard University analyzed star photos to learn more about their basic properties. Those computers were women who made discoveries still fundamental to astronomy today, such as Will Yamina Fleming. Um, she made like a star classification based on their temperature, which she's best known for. And there were some other people, but I just picked her as an example. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Um, In 1935, uh, the NACA began to hire white white women as human computers, but didn't start hiring black women until almost 10 years later in 1943. This was due to labor shortages shortages caused by World War II. So at this time, not only were women already faced with limited career options, but black women were especially limited due to racial discrimination. So, despite all this, black women played a huge role in the space race, and I find it sad they didn't get more recognition in their um, time, because, I mean, obviously, they get recognition now, but, I mean...
0: It took a while. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I just think it's amazing. So, at NASA, black women rose to their full potential as mathematicians, computer programmers, team project leads, and engineers. And one of these extraordinary women was Katherine Johnson, So, Katherine Johnson was born August 26th in 1918 in Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. From a young age, she was brilliant and far ahead of her peers, and she was one of the three black students to be picked to integrate into a graduate school in West Virginia. So, when she was just 13 years old, she was attending the high school on campus of the historically black West Virginia State College, and then at 18, she enrolled in that college itself, which I just feel like is always so crazy when I hear about, like, little 13-year-olds, like, going to like high school and college and shit i
0: failed geometry (laughs) when i was 13 (laughs)
1: it's like so crazy so yeah um especially like i feel like at this time like black people just did not get good education so for them to like just be like excelling like that yeah i think it's like even cooler so anyways um she excelled in math obviously and found a mentor and he was a math professor I can't pronounce his name. It's like scheifelein Clater or something like that. scheifelein yeah. Clater? Sorry, I'm helping. <laughs> um, yeah, but he also at the time was only the third African-American to ever earn a PhD in mathematics. So as I mentioned earlier, she was one of the first students to integrate into a graduate program at West Virginia University in 1939. Uh, when they be- began the integration in graduate schools, I couldn't understand from what I was reading if it was just in West Virginia or mm-hmm. like that college or whatnot, but yeah, she was one of the three, so um, and then it was two other men. So and they were selected by Virginia's state president. I don't know if that was like at the college or what, how that works. So yeah. So um soon after her first session at the school, she stopped to start a family with her husband and then she went back to teaching as she did before graduate school. But in 1952, one of her relatives told her about openings at the all-black West Area Computer Section at the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, um, the Langley Laboratory. So, and this was headed by Dorothy Vaughn, who I'm also going to talk about, and she was also a fellow West Virginian. So, after moving to pursue this opportunity, Catherine started her career at the Langley Research Center, and she was just 33 years old in 1953. Um... The center was obviously segregated, and for her first two weeks, she worked in the all-African-American West Area Computer Section, and she was quickly reassigned to the Maneuver Loads Branch of the Flight Research Division by Dorothy Vaughn herself. Uh, she began... Sorry, I typed really weird right here. Okay, anyway, she was reassigned to this division, and this is where um she became... Like, she did most of her work that's well-known in commended so in 1961 this is just like a direct quote because if i tried to reword any of this i'd be like Mm -hmm. what the fuck so okay in 1961 she analyzed the flight trajectory for alan shepard's freedom seven mission the first human space flight completed by the united states the next year johnson also verified an electronic computer's calculations for the friendship seven mission during this mission, John Glenn became the first American to orbit Earth, and then in the 1960s, her math also helped Project Apollo. Um, and then, yeah, using these calculations, it helped to sync the lunar module with the lunar orbiting command and the service module, helping send astronauts to the moon and make moon landings a reality. Which I don't even understand what that you couldn't reword that means. So, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um. When Johnson was asked what her greatest contribution to space exploration was, she would say that it was Project Apollo, and she considered that like her greatest achievement. Uh, she also worked on the space shuttle in the Earth Resources Technology Satellite, also known as ERTS, but it was later renamed Landsat. Um, she authored or co-authored... 26 research reports um she retired in 1986 after 33 years at langley and she said i left going to work every single day and then just five years before she died in 2015 at the ripe old age of 97 johnson added another remarkable achievement to her long list which was um president barack obama awarded her the presidential medal of freedom which is the um or like highest civilian honor you can get so And then she died on February 24th, 2020, so it's been almost three years to the day. Oh, my God. That is. That's kind of crazy.
0: That's tomorrow. Yeah. What?
1: Yeah. Okay. I thought it was kind of crazy that I chose to do that, and then I was talking to like, oh. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. What an amazing woman. I think it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I want to be her. So, right? <laughs> next, we're going to be talking about none other than... <laughs> none other. <laughs> none other than... Uh, Dorothy Vaughn herself. So, yeah, she was another great uh, black woman who was basically a pioneer at NASA. She paved the way for many others and helped make NASA what it is today, Uh, just, like, regarding, like, rights, like, equal rights and shit like that. So, uh, when she was 15 years old, Dorothy Vaughn received a full tuition scholarship to study at Wilbur Forest University, which also all of these universities and stuff that I was... Like reading about as i was looking this up all like our historical places now i don't know if it's because mm-hmm. they went there or what but hmm. yeah i thought it was kind of interesting um which is the first private historically black college So okay so that's probably why should, yeah uh, <laughs> um von majored in mathematics and french and despite ignoring the advice of her professors to pursue furthering her graduate studies she found what she thought would be a temporary position at Langley until President Roosevelt signed Executive Order 8802 into law, which this was just like prohibiting racial, religious, and ethnic discrimination in the country's defense industry. So not only did Dorothy's job become a permanent one, but the lab began hiring black women to help process the plethora of aeronautical research data. So as mentioned with Katherine Johnson, the Jim Crow era laws um, required the new, newly hired black mathematicians to worked separately from their white female counterparts. Uh, Dorothy Vaughn was assigned, just as Catherine was, to the segregated West Area Computing Unit, an all-black group of female mathematicians who were even at the time required to use separate dining and bathroom facilities. So despite the segregation, the West um, computers made... It kept confusing me when I was typing this, computers, because I forget it's like they're computers. (laughs) They are are computing numbers. Yeah, Yeah. so yeah, Um, they made major contributions that could not be ignored. Dorothy, being the motivated individual she was, pursued a title she knew she was deserving of, and about six years after working for Langley, was promoted to lead the group, making her – the NACA's first black supervisor and one of the NACA's few female supervisors. Um, so this title allowed her to even collaborate with white computers. Uh, despite the segregation and hardships she faced, Dorothy fought for equal wa- equal rights. <laughs> equal white. Okay. Waskily uh, For not only her black computers, but the white ones as well, she advocated for all and even intervened on behalf of white computers and other groups who deserve who deserved promotions or pay raises and she was often requested to help on challenging assignments um but yeah i just read that like it's kind of just how she was she was always trying to help people like get advancements and stuff and work and That's like cool, believed man. yeah so um when the naca became nasa in 1958 the agency began to eliminate segregated facilities including west computing it also created an analysis and com- computation division at this time where Vaughn and many other computers took new jobs and it wasn't segregated by race or gender and in that role um, Vaughn blazed a trail mastering the newest electronic computing programming technology oh my gosh (laughs) it's going to kill me okay so Vaughn was an expert programmer in Fortran which I looked it up it's just like I guess like an old computer language or something like that yeah Um, and she contributed to a satellite launching rocket called Scout She also worked at NASA until her retirement in 1971, and she died in 2008 on November 10th, and at some point in her life, she was quoted saying, separate and equal are two different things, just because it's that, or just because it's that way doesn't make it right, understand, and I feel like that's just an accurate representation of Dorothy and how she lived her life. She was just, like, fighting for the rights of others, pretty much. Nice. Um, and then last but not least, we will talk about Mary Jackson. So, Mary was from Hampton, Virginia, and graduated her high school with honors after graduation. Oops. After graduation, she continued her education and received a Bachelor of Science degree from the Hampton Institute in Mathematics and Physical Science. Um, much like Catherine and Dorothy, she too was a school teacher, which I thought was interesting. Like, they all taught mm-hmm. school. Um, she was a teacher at an all-black school in Maryland before joining the NACA. She also, I think, worked a few other jobs, but I just didn't feel like putting them in there because I felt like it wasn't really important. Yeah. Um, she was known for her love of science, and she was dedicated to helping others and um, improving their own lives. And I think somewhere I read that she was, like, basically just as passionate about, like, science as she was about, like, improving the lives of others. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was kind of sweet. So in the 1970s, she helped kids in the science club at the Hamptons King Street Community Center build their own wind tunnel. And they used it to conduct experiments, which I thought was, like, super sweet. And then I guess she had said to the newspapers, and this is a quote, We have to do something like this to get them interested in science. Um, Sometimes they are not aware of the number of black scientists and don't even know of the career opportunities until it's too late. So Jackson started at the NACA in 1951, but after just two years of working at a West computer, she was invited by, oh my gosh, Casimir's...
0: Casimir? and then
1: it's like c z it's like super oh yeah like
0: czech or something yeah hungarian yeah
1: but i read his nickname was kaz so yeah good old kaz yeah (laughs) so kaz asked her to join his team which was working on the supersonic pressure tunnel which if you type in supersonic pressure tunnel into google a photo of um the whole team will come up and then it's just so cute she's just like right in the corner it's like all these white people and then just like her little oh Self right there. So, yeah, I thought it was kind of sweet and yeah. cool. And, yeah, so if you're wondering what a supersonic wind tunnel is, because I was, it's, it was a four by four, 60,000 horsepower wind tunnel capable of blasting models with winds approaching twice the speed of sound. Oh, my God. Yeah. So. <laughs> Crazy.
0: That's awesome. I know.
1: Um, and so then. Cool a room down in four <laughs> seconds. <laughs> like, blow the skin off your fucking body. Yes. Oh my gosh. So uh, Kaz, the same person who had invited her to the team, eventually suggested that she enter a training program that would allow her to earn a promotion from mathematician to engineer. And so I, I don't know, some things I read, it seemed like he was like trying to convince her basically. And she was like, okay, you know what? I'll do it. So um, I guess these trainees had to take graduate level math and physics and after work courses managed by the university of virginia and they were of course held at the then segregated hampton high school so mary needed special permission from the city of hampton to join her white peers in the classroom and apparently it's like kind of a shitty process to go through but she did it and of course she succeeded and so she earned the promotion and in 1958 became nasa's first black female engineer which I thought was pretty cool like mm-hmm. i don't know Okay. anyway Russia, yeah, man. like girl. being the first ever black engineer for nasa like oh. that's a pretty badass yeah. <laughs> statement you gonna make yeah. yeah so um obviously in today's age i think it's like still rare that if like women major in like stem or anything like mm-hmm. that so especially in 1951 it was like extremely r- rare um, to be a black woman and to be an engineer let alone an aeronautical engineer but she did just that and she was May have been, like, the only one really in her field. So nice. she excelled in that field and compiled okay. a long list of achievements. She wrote, like, tons of papers and co-authored tons of stuff. I, I think, like, that same year she graduated, um, getting her engineering degree or whatever it was. She also had published, like, her first book or something like that. Of course. Yeah. Why so... not?
0: She's also just the first black female engineer, yeah. one Just, she can do it all.
1: Yeah, so... Um, and I guess, like, even though she did so well, she kept trying to get promotions, but she just couldn't get, like, promoted ever. So she was kind of just, like, stuck. Mm-hmm. And so she finally was just like, you know what? I'm going to leave. So in 1979, she left engineering, okay. and she basically was demoted in order to fulfill her other passion, which was helping people do what she was a- unable to do herself, which, you know, get promotions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she became an equal opportunity specialist at the open position of Lingley's Federal Women's Program. Nice. So there she worked hard to impact the hiring and promotion of the next generation of all of NASA's female mathematicians, engineers, and scientists. And then Mary retired from Langley in 1985, and among her many honors were an Apollo Group Achievement Award and being named Langley's Volunteer of the Year in 1976. She served as the chair of one of the center's annual United Way campaigns and was a Girl Scout troop leader for more than three decades, which I thought was cute, and then a member of the National Tech nickel association which is the um oldest african-american technical organization in the united states and then um of or just (laughs) i'm sorry i typed horribly i like forget my periods and shit okay so
0: do you really just got run on i just like yeah i
1: get confused i don't have time to i got time for all that shit okay so just as um, all good things must come to an end, Mary met hers on February 11th in 2005. And as said earlier, these were just three of the many black women who got little recognition but helped make that giant leap for mankind. hey And then my sources were um, from, so if you go on like NASA's webpage, they actually have like this thing called hidden f- figures to modern figures or something like that and i got all of their bios there they have like their whole like biographies which i thought was cool and then um the nps.gov articles um places of hidden figures written by jade ryerson and then an article on space.com by elizabeth howell called nasa's real hidden figures and yeah that's my story sweet (coughs) sorry that's awesome
0: because you well like you know it's always different than the movie yeah uh, sort of so I had read a couple of things that were a little different, but yeah, I don't think I knew nearly as much detail really? as you just gave out. Yeah, yeah, sorry.
1: So no, that's I was cool. like, hopefully Heather doesn't already know about this. I no, I mean, you would, like but. I've <laughs> seen the movie, but like that's it. Yeah. And you know what's different
0: than real life? You yeah, know? they've got that's two That's what hours. I figured. I was
1: like, yeah, because the movie they're like solving this like big thing, like yeah, all working. It's together, happening you know. really fast. Yeah, so and... I was like, I wonder what the real like. Yeah, deal well, is. like
0: sometimes you have to capture the spirit of it versus like the accuracy of yeah. it. Yeah. Like, if you ever watch uh, The Founder with Michael Keaton, uh-uh. it's about the guy that um, franchised McDonald's. Uh, oh, Nick Offerman is actually in it with oh, no mustache. Oh, I think you told me to watch yeah, this. Yeah, it's I never did. so good. But it's um, it, Roy Kroc or Ray Kroc, I can't remember. Um, he was just a real son of a bitch. He, yeah. he just <laughs> sucked a lot. He screwed them out of money and... Well, allegedly, like I had to look stuff up to see, like, oh yeah, it's it's definitely different, but they captured the spirit of Ray Croft, yeah, <laughs> of him just being a insufferable douchebag. So yeah. nice. Yeah, but those ladies were angels sent from heaven, and I'm happy that you got to talk about it. Yeah,
1: me too. I'm sure other people don't know about it, so... Yeah, exactly. It's for the people. For the people. It's for the people. (laughs) We do this for the people. (laughs) The five people. The five (laughs) people
0: that listen, one of them from Somalia does not speak English, just (laughs) accidentally clicked on the link. (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. laughing at what you said about your story. I have, mind you, like, in paragraphs every other paragraph is in bold so that i can help keep my place oh really yes oh my gosh
1: yeah that's why i get so confused when i'm reading i'm like oh what did i say oh i try just skip to skip that, that to, like, sentence yeah try yeah. to like
0: do it in bulks of like <laughs> like highlighted or something yeah. or like in red and then black and then i red should and then black. i just feel to, like i'm always
1: in such a rush i'm just like yeah <laughs> like just like keep typing 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 that's true i typed for two hours
0: before you got here and i'm still i still only got halfway done so yeah. i'm fucking scared <laughs> laura
1: I know I've always thought I'm like oh my gosh I hope Heather doesn't ever see like my typed <laughs> paper she'll think I'm dumb because <laughs> like, like a what? thousand typos and like, like nothing oh my god I think your niece <laughs> got to your phone and just inputted <laughs> yeah. a bunch
0: of crazy words
1: <laughs> no of
0: course not so <clears throat> this week i am gonna cover the black panther party i didn't know again just didn't know anything about it but was excited to learn um forgot about the whole fred hampton thing and yeah there's some really cool shit that the black panthers did they did some things wrong but overall they're fucking badasses and i i would like to think that i i would have hoped that i would have supported the black panthers when they were out and about um so as we all know the 50s and 60s in america were a very racist time police brutality against the black community was out in the open with the whole world watching while there were major protests and marches happening in the south with heavy media presence um out on the west coast black people were facing many of the same issues of being racially discriminated against especially from the police the catalyst for the movement was when uh, a young boy matthew johnson he was an unarmed black boy that was shot and killed by police in San Francisco in 1966. So Huey P. Newton, a college student studying law in Oakland, California had seen enough when he saw that news of Matthew Johnson. So with Bobby seal, a fellow activist, they started the black Panther party of self-defense as a watch party pat- to patrol and protect the neighborhood against police violence, which was the core of their um, objective. They were more than just a black power movement though. They were community organizers. They weren't only policing the police They were helping by providing classes on economics, first aid, self-defense, and they provided free breakfast to school-aged children because they'd heard that children that go to school hungry don't perform as well. So in a given school year, they were serving around 20,000 kids. And I mean, that's just so fucking impressive. So they would also help provide drug and alcohol rehabilitation, give away clothing and groceries, and escort seniors to medical appointments. Uh, The Black Panthers were ahead of their time in that they were more aware of the vicious nature of health disparities in the Black community, um, and they screened thousands for sickle cell anemia, which was not very known at the time. So they help to raise awareness of issues. Um, and real quick, sickle cell anemia, I do you know what it is? It's like the half cells
1: or something? Yeah, like, right? so
0: they're like crescent-shaped mm-hmm. um, cells. And the sickle cells can get stuck in the blood or they can block blood flow, which leads to a ton of pain. So the average lifespan of a sickle, sickle blood cell is 10 to 20 days versus 120 days of a normal shaped cell. Hmm. So your body starts depleting the cells really quickly. Okay. And if they are there, they're blocking passage of blood flow and it's just not a good situation. It's,
1: yeah, I was just looking up <clears throat> sorry, just no, interrupting cool. your story. That story of the squirrel who like died, I guess, like a few days after going to the hospital for oh, needing shit. she was black though too. Yeah. They wouldn't like give her like proper pain medication and she was just like it yeah, it was like oh, fucked fuck. up. But yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so hands and feet can swell people can get frequent infections and they can have vision problems sickle cell affects around hundred thousand people in the u.s. with the black community making up about 90 percent of that number so Huey Newton was going to college he's studying law um, he said he'd always felt ashamed of being black until he joined the Afro American Association where the shame was replaced with pride he started reading the workings of um, Che Guevara and Malcolm X giving him that little bit of edge uh, Newton felt like there were few organizations to support low-income African-Americans. So with Bobby Seale, like I said, they create the Panthers, and they start patrolling the streets with armed members. So they would just follow cops around. These are This is like the opposite. Can you imagine, like, black men following the cops <laughs> yeah. in a car full of guns on purpose just so that when they stop a person to harass them— they get out with their guns and just fucking stand there and stare at these cops, yeah. like, loaded fucking <laughs> rifles. But it's legal at the time. Um, you know, it's it's legal to carry a gun out in the open um, in the state of California in the 60s. But one guy – so there was a cop talking about, like, what it was like being a cop in Oakland at the time. So I guess what would happen is the Black Panthers would – swing their weapon up so they're like indirectly pointing it at the cops kind of like putting it on the shoulder bringing it back down and then they would shout legal advice to the person that was being harassed like what their rights were because he goes to law school yeah and they made sure they were within a safe distance that the cops couldn't say that they were you know impeding on the investigation or anything um i don't know dude it was just really fucking brazen that's cool yeah so soon they had their own unique look Um, Huey P. Newton knew that there, uh, that at the time everyone, this is the 60s, everyone had a black jacket. That was just like a part of everybody's wardrobe. (laughs) So he knew, okay, everybody has a black jacket. Um, and then he, the only other two real requirements, like for the dress code was to have sunglasses and a black beret. So it's like, these are items that if you're a lower income black person, you can achieve this look, you know, it's not an expensive look. So... Um, it made them look and it also made them look really tough and cool too like so swag. <laughs> it looked super swag um, it was definitely a counterculture look and it didn't fit in with the rest of the black community that followed say martin luther king jr or even malcolm x so newton and seal had they'd seen too many failed promises of equality between the civil rights act of 1965 the brown versus the board of education debacle where some cities just flat out fucking closed schools rather than segregate so in 1963. Um, This is a sorry, just to show uh, like another example of like the racism in the country. Alabama Governor George Wallace at one of his rallies, he screams segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. So that's like the (laughs) mindset, you know, everybody's fucking crazy in the 60s. Um, Seeing all of the effort and all of those sacrifices have little reward. Seal and Newton didn't agree with the idea of peaceful protests. They wanted to be much more aggressive with their tactics. So they believed Malcolm X um, when he said that the government was either unwilling or unable to protect the lives and property of black people um, and that they would have to defend themselves with weapons. So that was the mindset of like, fuck it, we're going out there. If it's war, then it's war. Um, Guns were very much a part of the Black Panther culture. Elaine Brown, she was a formidable force back then, recalled in her memoir that the Panthers had amassed a slew of weapons that included rifles, handguns explosives and grenade launchers they were not fucking around so there was a panther that had access to military weapons through a connection at camp pendleton Um, so they've got literally military grade weapons that you know the black panthers so they did try to keep it practical in the sense that they would train people with the weapons before they just handed them out Um, but it would usually be given by a vietnam war vet that would show them how to use the safety clean it maintain it all that stuff Um, like i said they didn't mind being aggressive in february of 1967 huey newton bobby seal and a few other members were pulled over in their car all the members were armed but again like it's not they're not worried like they're not scared about it they're like we are within our legal rights we have our guns they don't need to search this car um so one of the officers asks like well can i see that gun and then newton tells the officer that he's only required to provide his id his name and his address. The officer has Newton get out of the car. Um, Newton does, but he does not put his weapon down. So he's standing there with a fucking rifle, eyeballing a cop. The officer asked Newton what he planned on doing with his gun. And then Newton asked the officer the exact same question. He's like, what are you planning on doing (laughs) with your gun? So crowds start to form. The cop ordered everyone to disperse, but Newton screamed at them to stay. He told them that California law allowed civilians to observe police so long as they didn't interfere. So, Newton told the officer that if he chose to fire his weapon at him, he would have to do the same. Um, Bobby Seal, this is his, like, partner in crime. Well, not partner in crime. Yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> Bobby Seal. he's just as flabbergasted as everybody else. And that's when he says he knew that Huey P. Newton was the baddest motherfucker in the world. Uh-huh. So, word gets around that there are a bunch of black guys with guns protesting their community from asshole police that um, patrol the streets. So, Don Mulford of course. I don't know. Fuck that, <laughs> Fuck that name, Mulford. Um, a conservative who border whose borders um, included Oakland as state assembly wanted nothing more than end the Panthers' police patrols. He wanted to pass a bill specifically targeted at the Panthers. Um, he proposed a law to prohibit the carrying of a loaded weapon in California City. Um, Newton wasn't having any of it. His plan was to take a small group of Panthers loaded up with guns to show the state of California how much... They opposed the measure. So even though it was Newton's plan, he stayed behind because I guess everyone voted. They were like, we love you, Huey P. Newton, but you're like crazy. Like, I guess he had a tendency to kind of pop off and like start fights. And they were like, you're not the guy to go to this. Like we need a more even keeled person. So they sent Bobby Seale. And I am definitely down for more gun control measures, but it does bother me that the only time they did a gun control measure, like the first one they did, was just because the black panthers had guns you know it was no other no yeah. other incident oh whoa, whoa. the black ones have guns i we can't have this so all right it's upsetting so on that day they arrived on may 3rd 1967 um so they get to the capital they're in sacramento and there was someone there giving a cute little interview about you know their recent victory and becoming the california governor and that was Ronald Reagan. So he was in the middle of some bloated promise when cameras, you know, they're turned at him. And then all of a sudden more interesting people show up. There's all these like young black activists and berets and sunglasses and leather yeah. jackets. And they're walking <laughs> up the Capitol with guns. What the fuck? And it's so funny. Cause in the footage, like one of them actually brushes shoulders with an old lady who's just like,
1: what is <laughs> happening?
0: So that was pretty funny. Um, So yeah, anyway, they they all very calmly, they've got their their fucking rifles and shotguns just walking up the Capitol building in Sacramento. Um, Inside, the Panthers sort of got turned around, I guess because there's like press surrounding them and stuff, and they can't really find their way to the spectator area people are like bobby over this way bobby over this way so people get lost and then some of the members the black panther members accidentally end up on the floor like what? where the politicians are just standing there with guns um it's pretty crazy you can look at those pictures they're pretty fucking funny because like there's a lot of white guys giving them less side <laughs> eye like what is he doing um so anyway like it was, they did go there to kind of make the point of like, they're trying to disarm black Americans. They don't want us to protect ourselves. That was the message they went there to send. But it, unfortunately it just, the press kind of ran away it with it, you know, and it, it didn't look good. It just yeah. looked threatening. So the Mulford Act passed and <laughs> it was signed in by governor Reagan. Yeah, so, yeah. um, and then Reagan is there saying, there's no reason why on the street today, a citizen should be carrying loaded weapons. Guns are a ridiculous way to solve problems than have to be solved among people of goodwill. I just fucking Reagan. I can't with Reagan. Yeah. I think that dude was a piece of shit. Um, oh, he was also the guy that it was during his presidency where they said that ketchup counted as a vegetable on school lunches. What? <laughs> it was under his watch Ew. that that happened. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I've heard horrible stuff about him. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, Showtime,
0: <laughs> Showtime did this little docuseries. Worth it to go watch that. It was, it was very good, and he sucks. So um, it's important to remember the horrible racial violence that was gripping the country. We may think we saw or experienced a lot over, you know, here in the U.S. over the last few years, but... Man, nothing holds a candle to some of the insane shit that was happening out in the open in the 50s and 60s. In 1967, 158 riots erupted across the U.S. and urban communities, resulting in 83 deaths and 17,000 arrests. So in just one year, like, all that's happening. Um, In the South, after the Civil War, black people were restricted from owning guns. So with that in mind, taking into account all the history, it's no wonder that Newton wanted the Panthers battle-ready. So with the Capitol display um you know it did get them more coverage but but it also kind of put a big giant target on their back so the panthers did know how to use the press to their advantage and the press ate that shit up so it was somewhat mutually a beneficial relationship but then this made the fbi go in, into freakout mode so i like to envision j edgar hoover just his heavy breathing reading the paper about black unity and opening his big potato face, gargling out that someone needs to stop them in their devil ways. Um, just, his face is so annoying. J. Edgar Hoover. I feel he, like I
1: don't even know what he looks like. I'm sure He's just I
0: saw a meat potato with eyes is what he <laughs> looks
1: like. Fuck J. Edgar Hoover. I'm look him up. Yeah, yes. Um,
0: so the Panthers, they're gaining steam. Um, they weren't outwardly violent, and that was why they chose the name Panther. Because they were like, well, the Panther only strikes out if he's being attacked, you know. Hmm so um but they were more about reacting to the violence um they did not want to be peaceful and but they and they wanted to keep religion out of it too so like they didn't want to be the nation of islam but they welcomed everyone but it wasn't about any one thing it was just about the community and providing services um so they were just more interested in helping those who were struggling in the low-income community during this period of growth they gained so like they're growing in numbers. They gained a representative named named Eldridge Cleaver. Um, he had gained celebrity after publishing some essays from jail uh, in a book called Soul on Ice. It was a New York Times bestseller. Everyone's talking about what a genius he is, and he wants to join the Panthers. So it kind of gives the Panthers credibility. Um, we have this New York Times author that's like on our side, and it and he was actually a really very articulate and well spoken man, very intelligent and there was only one problem and that was that he was out of his fucking mind um he had a way of promoting violence that sometimes got people hurt really bad Mm -hmm. so he sort of represented the panthers but he was more of like a side player so after about a year of their presence in the papers and the news um Huey Newton is involved in a deadly shooting with a police officer the details are really sketchy as fuck but officer John Frey gets into a scuffle with Newton and then shots are fired so it's from the sounds of it from what i remember reading it was like they own only cops bullets were fired so i don't i don't know if he got the gun or the cops fucking got confused and shot each other like friendly fire that kind of shit happens but in any case, Newton was shot in the gut. The other officer did get shot as well. John Frey was shot, but he did not survive his injuries. Um, Newton was arrested at the hospital and convicted of voluntary manslaughter, serving, he was going to have to serve a two to 15 year sentence. So, and Bobby Seal was kind of like tied up in other things too. So the only person to really represent the Black Panthers ends up being Eldridge Cleaver, like again, who kind of has like a little bit of a violent streak. So they kind of like have to just watch and see. And then sorry to get back to Huey Newton. So the Panthers, the black community, and even just the average citizen protested the conviction of of uh, Huey Newton. So pretty soon, free Huey, stickers, pins, and posters rock the streets. Uh, he's stuck in jail, and there really isn't anything anyone can do about it. But while New- Newton is in jail, the group doesn't stop growing. Um, the chapters, sorry, Black Panther chapters start popping up across the country. This brings great distress to the slack-jawed Hoover and his goons. It wasn't long before bu- before, sorry, it wasn't long before, Hoover declared the group the greatest threat to the internal security of the country. So just a super quick side step into something called Pro, Are you familiar with that? Mm-mm. So it stands for Counterintelligence Program. It was designed by the FBI in the 19... Or I'm sorry, in 1956 to disrupt the activities of black organizers. It gave Hoover the legal right to tap MLK's phone because he truly hated that man. I guess he tapped MLK's phone in hopes that they would discover he was a communist. Cause that was like the worst thing you could be in the fifties. And no luck. Uh, They could not prove that he was a communist. So when King ridiculed the FBI after three civil uh, rights workers disappeared in Mississippi, asking if the FBI had done everything to safeguard civil rights activities and black citizens, Hoover loses it. Uh, Hoover told reporters that King was the most notorious liar in the country. So he just doesn't like um, being called out. Um, so COINTELPRO was designed to expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, or otherwise neutralize the activities of Black nationalists. Neutralize might mean putting someone in jail, making someone an informant, or just having them killed. So to show the obsession they had with the Panthers, of the 290 COINTELPRO actions taken, 240 of them were only against the Panthers. There's other organiz- like terrorist organizations and i don't mean to say other because i don't the panthers weren't a terrorist organization but like you know more important exactly it's like there's actual kkk like bombing (laughs) people and shit but like you're right let's really focus on the panthers um and that they also said like in all these internal memos and shit like the mandate of the initiative was that under no circumstances were the motives of the bureau to be released so like secret secret hush hush we don't talk about this so with the power that Pro gave the FBI and local law enforcement all the muscle they needed to harass the shit out of the Panther Party members, they were followed every day, their phones were tapped, and even their family members were bothered. One member said that they went so far as to send his wife a letter claiming he was sleeping with other women, and then the FBI arrested him, and they're telling him his life is going to be turned upside down and shit. Like, we have all this evidence against you. We're going to um, execute you oh unless God. you become an informant so unless they got what they want they let him know we're willing to kill you unless you give us exactly what we're looking for so shit like this is happening people feel manipulated into working for the bureau they don't want to but they feel like they're backed into a corner yeah so since they didn't feel particularly safe going home in hopes of protecting their families they created panther pads so they're kind of like shared apartments for homes and party members um and they keep it guarded all day. And it was sort of like a militant hippie commune, it feels like, and that everyone had daily tasks that they achieved. Everyone took their turn living together, um, and it helped them focus and keep that fire burning. So by the end of the 60s, over half the members were women, but that still didn't kind of stop that stereotypical male chauvinistic mindset that... Women had to work through, like, you guys need to be answering the phones. Yeah. You guys need to be cooking for the kids. You guys need to be cleaning up. We're going to go stand out here and shoot the shit and look really cool with our guns and our sunglasses. So the women had to, like, <laughs> like, bitch, get in here. You serve these kids, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they would put, like, the men to work, which I really liked. And yeah. and then the women would take turns to go outside nice. and, like, stand there and look cool. <laughs> so, you know, I respect that. Sorry, I think this is the part where I have to switch over to my oh, handwritten shit. So um oh <laughs> okay. oh so like the 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 like whole hippie commune thing it's all cool and everything but like it does feel like it gets a little out of hand to the point where like they're showing kids singing songs about like killing the cops <laughs> Shit. it's like all right i think we might need to like take it down just uh, a notch yeah. you know <laughs> oh let's see oh and then like to make money to raise money to keep it going the panthers sold their own papers they'd sell them for 25 cents something like it It would cost 12 cents to make and then they would make that 12 cent profit um so the the paper just explained who they were what they wanted out of the community things like you know we need better housing we need better health care like just your like kind of blanket statement of we have got to improve our living conditions um and in this paper uh there was artwork done by a guy named Emery Douglas, which helped sell the paper. They're actually, like, really striking images. Um, damn, I wish I fucked with the Facebook page. I could put that up oh, for yeah. people to see, but I, I won't. Um, <laughs> but he actually is the person he is credited with coining the term pig when referring to police because he put an image of a pig. And then he, he ended up having it standing up with, like, a baton oh. and, a, and a hat and shit. And so he get he coined the colloquialism pig. Yeah. I mean, to the point where people were protesting and there's big fucking like raw pig head on a stick and Whoa. shit. Dude, the protests in the seventies were off the hook. We don't <laughs> know how to do it right. We don't have pig heads on sticks. So, anyway. Um, but then now we're in 1968, MLK gets assassinated. So the Panthers are especially affected because that death just proved to them, see, you can't do it peacefully. We knew it. Like you had one person that was walking through hell just to make sure that you could get along. Like we could all get along and you shot him. You killed that guy. Like why that guy? So then they were like, fuck this. Um, so they felt like it needed to be violence and Eldridge Cleaver, he's a violent guy He's responding to this really strongly. So he's a wild card. He decides he wants to go fight the police. He's going to take people. He's just going to go find cops to hurt, nice. you know? And um, so he grabs a young man with a fire in his belly for justice, and they called him Little Bobby. So he was Little Bobby Hutton. Um, somehow, like, they didn't really get into it, other than, like, people talking about, oh, they heard over the radio that there was some kind of a shootout. Um, so... All of a sudden, don't know how it happens. There's a shootout. It's it's Eldridge Cleaver, it's Little Bobby, and it's like a couple other Panther members. They end up holding up at a basement. A tear gas canister gets tossed in by the police. It catches the curtains on fire. So now the men have to make a decision. Like, well, we can't stay in a burning building, but they're shooting bullets at us outside. How do we get out? Um. So Eldridge Cleaver, he's no he's no stranger to law enforcement. He says, he tells Bobby Hutton, he says. You're going to have to get naked. Like, if you're not naked, they're going to shoot you. They're going to say that you were concealing a weapon. So Bobby Hutton is embarrassed. He only takes his shirt off. He steps outside and is immediately shot to death. Uh Like, he just drops dead on the sidewalk. And he was only 17. Oh, my God. There was a time jump. They didn't explain (coughs) Eldridge Cleaver getting out and the other Panther members. It just went into Bobby Hutton. So I'm going to assume they came out naked and probably and, like, you know, got arrested. So... Uh, This was the first time that a Panther member had been murdered by police, um, and it brought the support of some celebrities like Marlon Brando and Jane Fonda. Um, So Eldridge was ordered to surrender to San Francisco Police Department to go back to prison, but on November 28th, 1968, he fled to Algeria, um, where the U.S. couldn't touch him. So he opened up a chapter, a Black Panther chapter in Algeria, where he was welcomed by other liberation movements. So... The North Vietnamese gave the Panthers their old embassy, I guess. So we're in we're at war with Vietnam. The Black Panthers show up and the North Vietnamese are like super chill with Eldridge Cleaver because he doesn't like Vietnam either and yeah. he wants to overthrow the system. So they're like, Yeah, sure, take our old embassy. We don't give a shit. So Cleaver was able to do something that other political activists had been unable to do at that time and that was work with foreign alliances so the only problem with this is how un-American it comes off yeah. you know everyone really supports the war in Vietnam at, the, at this point in like the late 60s um, and now he's working with like North Korea and <laughs> the North Vietnamese and it's like oh these are the exact wrong people yeah. for you to be working with um, but yeah it, in any case it's he's getting along with him, so Huey Newton's still in jail. Bobby Seale was also in and out of prison. uh, Eldridge Cleaver is in Algeria. The next best representative for the party was a guy named David Hilliard. Hilliard uh, made a plea to then President Richard Nixon to call off his goons. Um, I have to pause it super quick. Sorry, we have to turn a light on. Okay, but with Nixon as president, he feels like it's his sole responsibility to whip the nation into shape and crack down on crime. An echo that has been heard for decades. Nixon wants to repress people on his own terms, damn it. And that's without restrictions. So I did put, this is where I wrote it, Laura, when I was describing J. Edgar. Because I remember thinking that. And I wrote it down. J. Edgar Hoover's face. So he looked like a rotting meat potato with beady little eyes. And you said I should leave that. So I'm going to leave that. (laughs) Anyway, Hoover, of course, was pumped to have Nixon in his pocket. Like, cool, this guy, he gets it. He's just as racist as I am. I can't wait to oppress. Um... Let's see. So yeah, they, they called for more vigorous law enforcement. Hoover felt justice went hand in hand with law enforcement. Like one guy was asking like, how do you feel about law enforcement versus justice or something? And Hoover was like, they're both the same. So <laughs> that's his mindset. Um, when Hoover openly declared the Black Panthers to be the greatest threat to national security, it allowed local law enforcement to act with impunity. So this also caused the Panthers to react by amping up their guns. So every time one reacts, the other one reacts. And it's just this horrible dick measuring contest um with the exception that the black panthers are actually like fighting for their rights listening to some old cop and i just didn't like it he still had that mindset that the panthers were nothing more than a violent terrorist group that was trying to overthrow the government um and it's just weird after all this time like he still feels that way i don't know maybe i guess it's different when like in the thick of it but i it doesn't sound like he's put a whole lot of thought into it over the years so they felt like they were being uh proactive but they were mistaking that with racism i'm not sure what i meant by that um it led to the police swarming the black panther headquarters with tanks armored vehicles scores of men with guns the panthers haven't done anything to warrant this kind of behavior from the police um now one guy said that he thought the fbi was manipulating law enforcement by purposefully selling the panthers weapon through their informants so like planting these weapon buyouts and then telling cops oh we have a hot tip that they've got these weapons mm-hmm. you better go raid their compounds or whatever so they're just setting all of this up like fucking puppet masters um so yeah and then two. so then also when they go to raid these these headquarters they have it in their mindset oh they're dangerous and they have guns and they shoot we shoot first so we just go in no matter what we always shoot first and that was like j edgar hoover's thing was he would say like shoot first ask questions later um so this starts happening to all the chapters all over the u.s but in New York, they do something really unique. Instead of just going in with brute force, they're going to bury these Black Panther members with conspiracy cases so that they could arrest all of their leadership. So 21 Black Panther members were arrested for a slew of bogus charges. One of them, one of the Panther members was only 16, and they're trying Aww. to tell this kid he's some like high-ranking conspiracy <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, so the New York 21, they were stuck in jail with $100,000 bonds. Like, eh, sorry, that's just way too much. Um, and they were facing hundreds of years worth of sentencing. Their lawyers outright said that they were being framed. Thousands of people protested in front of the court. Um, they held high-profile fundraisers at places like Jane Fonda's home. The Panthers needed a lot of money yeah. to fight back against the U.S. government. Um, let's see. So the state of New York provided witnesses and hundreds of pieces of evidence. They spent millions of dollars trying to bury uh these people um one person said it was a 13 month trial i saw somewhere else it was an eight month trial either way that's a long fucking trial um so when it's all over the jury deliberates for three hours the jury comes back and they read the verdict not guilty the room explodes there's cheers 156 not guilty verdicts people are dancing in the street all the men have spent the men spent two years in prison so wait was it the 20 of
1: them or 21 21 Yeah. yeah So
0: all 21 of them so they were
1: charged with like a ton of shit,
0: a like, ton anyway. of shit, just all this conspiracy. Oh, you were planning to blow this city up and just literally just yes. making shit up. Um, so even though it was great for the New York 21 with their high profile case, smaller, less successful trials are taking place all over the country as well in smaller chapters. So the trials took up a lot of the Panthers time and money as well as, um, there were low membership numbers too, because everyone's seeing everybody get arrested and they're like, well, I don't want that noise. Um, Let's see. So in Chicago in 1968, uh, at the Democratic National Convention, a demonstration against Vietnam has been arranged. Bobby Seale was invited to speak, naturally, but a riot breaks out. And this is after Seale has left, but he's still arrested. And his charge is for inciting a riot. He did not incite a riot, uh, but he was arrested at the advice of the FBI. That's the only reason Chicago PD came and arrested him. So Seal asks to postpone his trial because his lawyer, Charles Gary, is not yet in Chicago. The judge refuses and tells Bobby, you know, you don't, it doesn't matter. You don't have your lawyer. Um, And Bobby says, fine, I'll represent myself. So when Seal goes to cross-examine a witness, he's told to sit down. He's told to be quiet. The judge is constantly telling him, like, you need to be quiet. You need to sit down. Where's your lawyer? I don't have my lawyer. He had, like, gallbladder surgery or something. Yeah and the judge just did not give a fuck like he was such a horrible dick yeah. there's actually a movie on netflix called yeah. the trial of the chicago seven it's like more recent but um it does it has bobby seal it's got eddie redmayne it has um joseph gordon levitt oh, okay. it's got like some pretty big name oh sasha Baron cohen isn't it oh, okay. randomly oh. he's he plays um funny. one of the hoffmans um It's a fucking good movie. I would really, it's Aaron Sorkin's, um, but dude, it's such a good fast pace. Like Mm. it's really amazing. Oh, so the judge keeps telling him to sit down. He keeps telling him to be quiet. Seal is reacting strongly and rightfully so because the judge is denying him his constitutional right and even screaming at one point that the judge is a liar, like it's it's turning into a fucking circus. Um, the judge, Judge um, Hoffman, he orders Seal to be held down. So apparently, the days that followed were, like I said, total fucking madness. Seal keeps insisting that his right it's his right to represent himself to the point that. This fucking judge orders the bailiff to put gaffer's tape over his fucking mouth and tie him to the chair. He's literally tied in a courtroom in what? a chair with fucking tape over his mouth because it's like the a judge trial. <laughs> Dude, but like, what is happening? You yeah. know, um, but you can hear him on the audio because there's no recordings right but like well you know audio recordings and you can just hear him trying to make noise through the tape it's so fucking disturbing and horrible to know that like this happened to somebody in one of our courtrooms in modern times i would say yeah um so anyway uh bobby's making noise he's refusing to stop people are furious at his treatment they're protesting in the streets to jail judge hoffman um within the crowds. People find themselves drawn to a very powerful speaker by the name of Fred Hampton. Um, It's during one of these speeches for the Chicago 7 that he famously said, you can jail a revolutionary, but you can't jail a revolution. So I know with SEAL, eventually they do dismiss the case or something because they realize this is fucking insane and it doesn't look good. And then I believe the Chicago 7, I don't think they ended up getting in trouble for inciting that riot. But anyway, um, we're on to Fred Hampton now. Uh, Fred Hampton was the man. By the time he was 17, he was the head of the NAACP Youth Branch. Um, so he was he was like a freaking natural. By the time he joins the Panthers uh, when they open a branch in Chicago, so in 1969 he spoke. Uh, he's speaking at the People's Church. In this church, at the end of it, his talk, um, he has the crowd stand up. He has them hold their right hand up, and he keeps having them repeat, "I am a revolutionary." Just the way he's doing it, dude. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Like. Um, and there was, his lawyer was there, one of the lawyers for the Chicago seven, I think they said like, Oh, I raised my hand, but I didn't feel like I was a revolutionary. So I didn't say it. You know, I, I'm a lawyer. Like I, who am I? And then he's like, by the end of it, I was screaming just as loud as everybody else. I am a revolutionary. (laughs) It was like a very sweet little moment. Um, but yeah, every time they, they repeat it, the crowd is just getting like fired up. It's, it's, it's just like a really cool little thing to hear. So Fred Hampton, he was such a solid unifying voice that he was able to find advocates with a local Puerto Rican gang um, called the Young Bloods, and then the Young Patriots, which was a group of fucking Appalachian hillbillies. Um, but they were just trying to unite poor people they were like it shouldn't we shouldn't fucking care what color our skin is what background we have like we are all poor as fuck and we're suffering like at the hands of our government like we need to stand together so he was unifying black and white and puerto rican and he was bringing people in so again like this is not something that that the fbi likes to see um but in the end it ended up being his personal bodyguard that betrayed him
1: oh
0: yes yep so have you have you ever seen judas in the and the black messiah uh-uh. oh dude it's fucking good it's about specifically fred hampton being um double-crossed by his bodyguard wow. that feeds him to the fbi basically so on december 3rd 1969 at the people's church in chicago um it's a successful and fiery speech william o'neill he brings fred's eight and a half month wife home um back to the, their apartment
1: she's pregnant Yeah. She was eight and a half
0: months pregnant. So Fred's been running around. He's, uh, you know, running ragged. He's organizing things. He's only 21, man. But he's like fucking on top of shit. He's he just like knows how to get it done. So he falls asleep. His pregnant um, girlfriend. I don't think they were technically married. They were like legally married, but I think they were engaged. So his pregnant um, wife, I'll just say, fell asleep next to him. Before dawn the next morning, a fucking death squad rolls in from a tip that the from William O'Neill, his fucking bodyguard um that there's weapons in the apartment so before any real information about the raid comes out the state attorney makes a mock-up of hampton's apartment so the chicago pd can go through the version of events of their saying what's happened here's where we came in three shots came at my head here's where we had to duck like they're going they're dude there's this amazing story that they're telling of defending themselves and everything um and the state attorney he condemns the panthers for using violent brute force reminding people that they were vicious animals that needed to be dealt with so of course the people in the apartment told a very different version of the story hampton's wife said that there were no knocks there were no verbal warnings no tear gas no offer to surrender shoot first ask questions later um panther members said that the cops literally went in and just started firing anywhere everywhere bam 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 Um, Hampton's wife, as well as other party members, they tried to shake Hampton awake. And this is what's, like, still fucked up about everything. So the FBI and William O'Neill both denied drugging Hampton. But the fact was, he, he had not been shot yet. His wife couldn't wake him up. Party members couldn't wake him up. And they did end up finding oh shoot, I have to, barbiturates in his bloodstream after. So he was drugged so that he could not react. They shot him up. They fucking killed him. And actually, so when they, they manhandled his wife, because they're in a tiny little bedroom. So she's eight and a half months pregnant. Her fucking husband gets murdered next to her. Mm -hmm. Um, They like, pick her up. They're like, oh, we got a broad here. And I guess she said they took her by her hair and like threw her into the kitchen. Um, and then she heard one of them say, like, oh, he's barely alive, followed by two gunshots, and then saying, well, he's dead now.
1: Oh, my God. So
0: that's Chicago PD in the 1960s. Well done, you fucking dicks. Um, so the hubris of the fucking Chicago PD is pretty astounding. Uh, oh, so the hubris of the Chicago PD. They leave the crime scene open. They can't be bothered to secure the crime scene. So people run in right after. Yeah. They run in and they see all this fucking carnage. There's blood everywhere. Fred Hampton's blood is just like pouring out of the fucking apartment. Um, And then when they lift the mattress up, like gun, like slugs of gun of, uh, I'm sorry, bullets fall out. So ballistics goes in. They study the scene. They found that 90 rounds of, of the 90 rounds fired, only one round came from a Panther weapon. So 89 fucking bullets came out of cops weapons at people who were not shooting shooting at them so there there was one other member who did get killed um he was shot in the heart when he was reaching for his his gun because i don't know he just hears gunshots he's reacting um so the state attorney lied the cops lied the fbi lied Uh, a hit team was brought in to take care of a strong black political activist again so now in some memos and memos and documents there's a record of William O'Neill. They said he gets a $300 bonus for providing such valuable information to the FBI. Um, And internally the FBI is bragging about the raid and taking credit for it, but publicly they're denying any knowledge of it. We had no idea. Um, So the Panther party didn't know what, but they could just feel that something was coming down the line. So just, I believe it's about four days after um, Hampton's assassination the first use of la swat is used to attack uh black panthers headquarters in oakland so like la swat's never been used before i think this is their first time i don't know i think they're excited to like try their new toys and kill a bunch of people so they use a no-knock warrant to surprise the panthers and i'm sorry i swear i'm this is my last page okay uh they use a no-knock warrant to uh surprise the panthers there's a huge gunfight three officers go down within hours media is swarming the place um reporters are pretty shocked at what they're seeing like reporters are running there's cops are running there's this big shootout it's fucking crazy (laughs) but the cops have the numbers they have like unlimited numbers And the Panthers, they just, they ran out of ammunition. They ran out of steam.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, They eventually had to surrender. So one by one, they come out. They're scared they're going to get shot. They don't get shot. Yeah. yeah. And then at this time, so after this, now basically every prominent member of the Black Panther Party is either dead or in jail. This is when they let... Huey P. Newton out of jail from the other thing. That whole John Frey is dead, and we're arresting you for voluntary manslaughter. Now Huey gets out, but now he's kind of like the only yeah. real member uh, left. Um, but I guess there were errors found in his trial. Jurors are sequestered, and Newton gets set free. There's you know rejoicing in the street, and that's like I think the real last like happy moment for the Panthers was when Huey P. Newton gets let out after that everything just goes downhill really fast you know newton wants to take it back to school programs he wants to take it back to the breakfast programs eldridge cleaver is a violent guy he's like i we need more guns like we gotta you know kill whitey and shit well i don't know if he ever said that but like you know over (laughs) like we gotta overthrow the government this is political yeah um so, yeah. So then it, it turns into this thing. Now it's the camp between Eldridge and Newton. The FBI hones in on this. They know that the two are fighting. They start like picking at each other. They start fucking with them so that they don't get along anymore. And they don't. They end up like fighting over the phone on live TV, like during an <laughs> interview because Cleaver like sandbags him where Newton thinks, oh, I'm going to call, like, we're going to do this interview. We're going to talk about how unified we are. And then Cleaver just like steamrolls him and it's like I don't support you. I don't support the Black Panthers anymore. I'm out. Goodbye. It was like super yeah. bizarre. Bobby Seale, um he tries to be mayor of Oakland. It ends up not working out even though he put in like an amazing effort. I mean, mm-hmm. the love he had for those people and I feel bad. I don't guy. Yeah, I don't know if he's like alive anymore or yeah. not. I should have looked that up. I apologize. But um you know, he had so much love for his community where they did he he promised at the beginning of his campaign, you know, like, if you vote for me, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make uh, 10,000 grocery bags. Every bag is going to have a chicken in it. So it's like a FDR Aww. play of like a pot or a chicken in every pot. Yeah. So his was like a chicken in every bag, you know, and he was getting people to come so that they could sign up to get their voter registration. And he just like, what a unique, creative, I can't think of a time in my life where I ever saw a politician do that. Yeah. Like, can you, like... I'm no. gonna to, for voter registration yeah. turnout. I'm gonna give away food. Fuck yeah. oh, no! It's like here's an Apple gift card for five dollars. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that happens. It's unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Newton starts getting violent and irrational. He starts abusing people around him. His girlfriend. He starts abusing Bobby mm-hmm. Newton. Everybody kind of just leaves. Yeah. Like it, it kind of just finally dissolves. Sometimes in the in the mid '70s, I think like '74 maybe um i really should have looked that number up but in any case uh that was the sadly short-lived time span of the black panthers because they could have been so much to their community they could have been so much to just work with like if the government had just heard the words and stopped harassing and given equal opportunity like none of this would have happened and it blows my mind like what j edgar hoover got away with what all of these dudes got away with it's like annoying. it's annoying as fuck and then you've got you know huey p newton who somehow a cop gets shot might have even been friendly fire he goes to prison for two years yeah. it's like what so my uh, my sources are the biggest one would be it was on pbs it was a black panthers documentary it was called uh the black panthers vanguard of the revolution um, I read a couple New York Times articles, one by Carl Caldwell, um another one by Giovanni Russinello, Blackpass.org, an article by Hannah Foster, publichealth.columbia.edu. I didn't see an author. Um Huffington Post, an article by uh Garrett Brode, thought co.com an article by robert mcnamara the guardian an article by mike german insider.com an article by Kay thorne jensen and then some history.com articles so that was the history of the black panthers and i feel like i definitely left stuff out but oh, if you want to know more good though, yeah. yeah that black panther vanguard it's crazy yeah uh the fred hampton death was very upsetting i was fucking pissed when yeah, i saw that it's, it's- so sad but judas and the black messiah oh because that was sorry i should have mentioned that 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 was the whole thing with the j edgar hoover was like we have to make sure there's not the rise of a messiah figure oh and that was like that was why the movie was called that but he was like i mean he was really bringing people together and he was fucking good at at getting crowds riled up and getting everybody on the same page and united and he just he had a gift Uh and they fucking ripped that away from him so so
1: horrible yep so, is there any... So, is that why they... Did they just call the movie Black Panther, Black Panther? Because it was, like, a, this, oh, like... I, I was just wondering, because, like, since it's kind of, like, a historical, like, black Fuck, I don't group, know, because... If it was, like, related at all. Those or?
0: comic books would have come out around the 60s and 70s, right?
1: Yeah. Of Black Panther. Yeah. Or if ah, they named... Shit, I don't know. Them after, I don't know. I was just thinking that <laughs> way you're telling the story. Okay, well... You get back to us, Laura. All you know. right. I'll have the answer. <laughs> Maybe. when yeah, I, we'll forget. When I Google next time yeah. sitting here. <laughs> Going, oh, shit. Yeah, we were supposed to look that up. Oh. All right. Well, good job.
0: I think we're off. I'm so sorry. I kept us. No. Dude, I talked for almost a fucking hour. Oh, my gosh. All right. No, All right. it's okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, until next time. And you are a revolutionary. All right. Bye. Bye.